Father's Day, a day for dads. Kind of like Mother's Day, but different. On Mother's Day, we shower our moms with flowers, fancy brunches, picnics, and of course, live, laugh, love knickknacks. But on Father's Day, we generally celebrate by absolutely roasting dad in general. This is a prime time for those dad stereotypes. I'm talking about who touched the thermostat, who left the lights on, getting up early for no reason, and for some reason, making it his entire identity that he woke up before you. And of course, just dad jokes in general. I guess they'll let anybody in here. Rest in peace, Chili's. Gone, but not forgotten. But for a lot of people, the word dad is a loaded term. For me, I have a great relationship with my dad. We don't agree on a lot of things, but we love each other, and I've really never questioned if he loved me or not. Even if he's made mistakes, I never felt like they were malicious in any way whatsoever. He was just being a human being. However, I recognize that not all relationships with dads bring up great feelings. I have many people close to me whom the term dad or father brings up these feelings of abandonment, neglect, hurt, trauma, and even abuse. For many people, Father's Day and everything around that is simply a trigger of past trauma and current struggle. So I can totally understand how Father's Day could kinda suck, to say the least. So I can understand that some people have an equally hard time when they hear God referenced to as God the Father, or our Heavenly Father. God, Jesus, Lord, yeah, that's fine, but, but Father, I'm out. But what does that actually mean? At the project, we turn to the Bible because we know that it shows us who Jesus is and how his example and teachings lead to the best life possible. In Matthew 6, 9, we see Jesus explain this. He says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus is instructing his followers to pray to God, the Father. And in Romans 8, 15, Paul says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. Here, Paul's explaining that through the Holy Spirit, we are adopted as God's children and we can call him Father. 1 John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. John is reaffirming that believers are God's children and that God loves them greatly. This is just to name a few. Just a few examples of positive relationship with God the Father. Good gifts being there for us, supported in times of need. A God who loves us is always there for us. But let's take a look at Matthew 7. It says this in verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Logical. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts for your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? First off, there's clearly some creativity coming from Jesus here. Like, it is a little crazy to think that if a kid asks for a slice of bread, instead of handing some fresh rye or sourdough or pumpernickel, they hand them a literal piece of rock, granite, slate. Or if your kid asks for a fish, and I am assuming it's to eat, because let's be honest, what four-year-old is going to go walk around with a full-grown, big-mouthed bass for fun? You hand them a king cobra. This is a Jerry News line waiting to happen. Florida man arrested for feeding his child rocks and venomous snakes. Just another day in Orlando. 
But Jesus brings out the contrast here. He's saying, of course not. And if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Okay, hang on. Who are you calling evil here, right? You thought of that? Evil? What are you talking about? Because Jesus, like, I'm not evil. Like, I might do bad things sometimes. I might have stolen a chocolate bar when I was a kid. And there was that time I cheated on that exam and the time I lied about my age so I could get a free kid's meal at Swiss Chalet. But I'm not evil. Hang on a second. He's not attacking you. But what Jesus is explaining is the reality that all people are corrupt. Even the best human with the best intentions is tempted to do evil, leans into selfishness, and chooses selfishness instead of justice, cheats a bit to get ahead, and all of us have fallen short of God's perfect plan. I'm sure if you really analyze yourself, you would say, I've contributed to that in some way. 1 John 1.8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous. No one who does what is right and never sins. This verse is underscoring the universality of sin. And Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The reality is that there isn't a single human born who isn't corrupt by sin. So what Jesus is saying isn't that you're irredeemable, but the opposite. Jesus is saying that you need to be redeemed. And the truth is, the good news is Jesus is that redeemer. He's the one that can reconcile your brokenness. So if broken people do good things for their kids, how much more will your heavenly father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Maybe your dad was great and this all makes sense. Or maybe you've never had a father figure in your life who exemplifies any of this, who gives good gifts, who shows that kind of love. But if that is you think, if you had kids, do you want to give them the best? Would you want them to have it different? To give them everything you could to make it better? In either case, the love you've experienced or the love that you wish to give, the love you long for from your dad that frankly was incredibly flawed either way, that made mistakes and even just maybe made selfish decisions sometimes, but yet would have done anything for you, even die for you. Jesus is saying, how much more will your perfect heavenly father, God, give you? Jesus was actually saying a lot to the people 2,000 years ago when he was saying this. You see, first of all, many Jewish people at that time had a very strict view of God. To them, God was this angry father always waiting for them to mess up, to jump and attack and punish. Jesus is explaining that God is not just up there trying to catch you like a photo radar on the Anthony Henday. But God is a personal God who wants to have a relationship with his kids. God the Father wants you to succeed. At that time, a lot of the Jewish religion had a lot of intermediaries between people and God. This was a pretty big statement to say that you now had direct access to God the Father, the God of the universe who wants to talk to you and he's willing to listen and he wants relationship with you. The other bombshell here was the forgiveness of God. When Jesus recognized that even though we all are evil, God still gives us good gifts. Even though we are broken, he loves us. Even though we don't deserve it, he forgives us. God the Father knows your mistakes and he still offers forgiveness. He sees us as his kids who he loves. Jesus showed that Christianity wasn't just rules that you get sent to the principal's office over. But God is for us, he loves us, he wants what's best for you.
And cue the greatest costume change ever. Since it's Father's Day, obviously, dress up like a dad. Okay, weird round of applause, but I'll take it. I'll accept it. But of course, it's Father's Day. We want to talk about those differences, those, those misconceptions or those feelings that can come from maybe a negative reality or a negative experience with a father figure or a dad. And for some of us, like I said in the video, it may have nothing to do with that in our lives. We've never experienced that. Or for some of us, it, it really fits the narrative exactly bang on. So let me ask you this. Do you ever feel negative things towards God the Father because of a bad experience? Or what about church or just Christianity in general? Have you ever had a bad experience in church or had somebody say something or do something that just left a sour taste in your mouth? And now you kind of have this association. You can't get past it. It's there. Maybe it's big. Maybe it's small. But it's there. And this feeling that a lot of people who I talk to, a lot of young adults I speak with, feeling like God is this universal cosmic cop that's trying to jump on you and catch you and get you at your worst moment and judge you and make you feel like you're terrible, that breaks my heart. You know, I know what Jesus said to be true in my own life, and that's why it hurts so much. Because the truth is, we're called to a high standard, for sure. We're not called to be just the baseline and falling into our sin or our temptation or our urges or choosing momentary pleasure over what actually matters and choosing the best way, which is a Jesus-based life, following his example and what he has for us. But the truth is that so often we get caught up thinking that God just wants us to perform. That God is all in on just, you have to do it this way. You need to dot every I, you need to cross every T, or else you're out. I want nothing to do with you. I'm going to rage out, I'm going to lose it, and I will never want to talk to you again. But that's not God the Father. The truth is that God, Jesus, he loves you. He sees you for who you are. He knows you in your weakness. He knows you in your strength. He knows your flaws, and he still calls you his child. He's your heavenly father. He's your dad. He still loves you like a dad should, like a dad does. There's nothing you could ever do to change that. But I know that that's not everyone's experience. Some people have had those experiences with father figures. Some people have had bad experiences with church. A bad father experience can sour our feeling towards all ideas of God the Father the same way that a bad experience with church can make us just never want to go back or never trust fully. It might not be, oh, I'll never return there. You might be a regular in church. You may not even recognize all the ways that some experience or some negative interaction is still kind of under the surface eating away. A little hint of cynicism, a little hint of bitterness, a lack of trust, like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop at all times. You'll never fully commit. You'll never join a serving team. You'll never give financially. You'll never fully embrace church or a Jesus-based life because it's gonna happen. What if it happens? What if that thing happens again or that thing I saw before on TV or in other places happened? And I can't say I 100% would blame you if you feel this. Like, I bet all of us have seen some situation or an argument on Facebook between that uncle or that aunt or that person who's distant who claimed to represent a Christian life or a Jesus-based life and claimed that they were representing Jesus, but it was done in such a negative way. And you looked at it and you're like, man, I want nothing to do with that. That person, is, that's the worst. Why would I want my name associated with that? What, what group behaves that way, that claims this, but acts that way. Maybe it was somebody who is leaning into political views and making Jesus the battering ram for their ideologies. 
But you know that Jesus never said those things. But they said, I'm acting belligerent. I'm acting rude. I'm doing these things because that's what Jesus would want. But it wasn't. And it isn't. Claiming their selfish desires or actions are what Jesus would call them to. Or maybe you saw a documentary or you listened to a podcast about this big church over here or this celebrity pastor over here or this person who did all these things, public big story in Jesus' name, and it was awful, and it spiraled, and there's constant tabloids, tabloids and news, and it's a buffet of negative information. There's no lack of available reasons to feel negative towards the Christian, the Jesus experience. It's all there. You want to find it? You don't have to look very hard. Just got to Google it. Just got to kind of stay paying attention. It feels like these things are coming in over and over again. So why wouldn't I just let that cynicism take over? Why wouldn't I be on guard? Why wouldn't I let those negative things, those negative experiences, whether they've happened to me personally or I've just kind of heard about them anecdotally, why wouldn't I kind of let those put me on guard? Isn't that just smart? I get it. I really do. I'm not just saying that. The truth is, in my life, my family's been very burned by per- personally by organized religion in some ways. No, not the project, not Hope City. I'm not talking about that. Not that we're perfect, but that's not who I'm talking about here. See, my family was deeply wounded by lies from a group of people that turned out to be a cult. And all their money, all their money, like everything, was given to this group who claimed things in the name of God, who claimed to represent Jesus, but frankly didn't know him at all and did not represent him. My dad literally ran away from a commune in the mountains when he was 16 years old. You can imagine the pain that that causes. You can imagine the layers that there are to that towards organized religion. You can imagine the trauma in my family. And honestly, the more I age, the more I kind of process my own life. I wasn't ever there. You know, I was never really experiencing it. But even in my own life, I can see layers and layers of why I am the way I am. Just a little bit of cynicism here, a little bit of distrust here, a little bit of vinegar here, just a little bit of being mad at this and a little bit of distrust in general. And it's there, even if it isn't the predominant thought in my head, if it isn't what drives me, there are parts of that that still have been in my life as well. I've seen how things have hurt my family. I've seen what those negative perceptions, those negative realities can do and the pain that it's caused, so it's become a part of me on some level. And there's been times in my own life, you know, it might be things sitting there and be like, Jeff, you're a pastor, like, you know, like maybe you've heard these stories before, but you don't know what I've been through. Like, I've had some bad experiences because you're a pastor and your experiences in church must all be perfect. It must be great. But the truth is, yeah, not here, not this church, but I've had experiences like many other people that were really painful. We're well-intentioned people. Genuinely, I think well-intentioned people made major mistakes during my engagement in churches. I've had several times in my life where I had to reconcile that the God that I believe in and the the church and the, the movement that I really believe is the most important thing, the best decision you can ever make to follow Jesus and the church that brings so much purpose and so much hope to my life and is available to every one of us that the actions of people that claim to represent that and him were not the same. The major mistakes were made. But I was caused pain because of people who did things in Jesus' name. I've had my chances to walk away 
I've thought about it. At times, I've come close. But I can tell you this with my whole heart. I'm not just saying this because I have to. I'm so glad I never did. When you're hurt, when you've been wronged, when there's no excuse for what you've experienced, I don't blame anyone for feeling like a victim because on some level you were. What happened isn't good, wasn't right. What happened to me, what's happened to my family, it wasn't right. It was done in the name of Jesus. It was done as church or as Christian or whatever. It was done in the name of God the Father, but it wasn't him. It wasn't that. It wasn't right. And the easy and logical and immediate emotional decision is just to disengage, and that's a survival mechanism, I get it, to just retract, to pull back, to regress, and to not allow that thing that hurts you to be anywhere near you ever again. We don't ever want to experience that pain. So again, I don't blame anyone that's contemplated it. I don't blame anyone who's pulled back. If that's you, you're here tonight, and you've been part of this before, maybe you can't believe that you're here tonight. It's the first time in a long time. It's the first time you never thought you'd ever return. Or maybe you can't believe you're in church for the first time because you thought, Christians, they are this. Christians, they are that. I've seen them on the news. I've seen the way they behave at certain protests. I've seen them just not behaving in a way that I want anything to do with. But you're invited here. You're here now or you're watching or listening online and you're just kind of shocked that you're even here. I get it. But that's not who Jesus is. That's not what the Christian experience is. A Jesus-based life is worth so, so much more. It's the most fulfilling thing that you can ever experience. The hope, the forgiveness that can only come from Jesus who died on the cross for your sins. That no matter what you've done, who you are, your mistakes, the things that you define yourself with, those negative words that you say to yourself when you look in the mirror, when you're going to sleep at night, that you can't seem to shake off. Jesus forgives that. Jesus knows it, and he still says, I love you. God says, I am your father, your heavenly father, who still sees you as you are, as you've been, but I know you, and I know who you truly are, and I love you dearly, and I will never, ever give up on you. You're here. There's hope. No matter what you've walked through, no matter what's happened to you, there is hope for you. It doesn't make what happened okay the actions against you, the things that hurt you, the mistakes, it doesn't make those things okay. Yes, people suck sometimes. What happened wasn't right. But the reality is that those people are not Jesus. Those words did not come from God. They did not represent God. People are imperfect. So naturally sometimes, just like I will at times be imperfect, just like you will be imperfect sometimes, just like you're gonna make mistakes, we all tend to give in to selfishness and to those mistakes to varying degrees, of course, but none of us have it all figured out. I'm sure I've hurt people in my life even without knowing it. That scares me to death. I'm sure we all have, but we're all broken. We all fall short. That doesn't make it okay, but we need Jesus' forgiveness in our lives. Every single person here, every single person watching at home or listening, every person in the world, no matter how much their life seems to be together, no matter how much they seem to have it all perfect, or their life is just the, exactly what you want in your life, the model for what everybody wants to be, we all fell short. 
Romans 3.23 says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. People are broken, but God is perfect. People can hurt you, they will hurt you, they will make mistakes, but Jesus, he wants to heal you and he can heal you. Whatever you've been through, he can work in your heart, he can heal you, you may not forget it, that's not what it's about, but you can forgive and you can heal and you can no longer be owned by that callous that's worked over your heart, that defines everything, that negative lens that maybe you've been looking at everything through. He can free you from the prison of your own captivity. Some relationships will leave you empty. People will fail you. But Jesus will fulfill you. He's everything you're looking for. Everything that you've been looking for all this time, he's what you need. The church, though flawed, is the community that will help you through your toughest times, will break the loneliness that you feel. A Jesus-based life is the best life. It's what I've lived out and I've had to wrestle with it over and over again. It's tough, I get it. But I can tell you 100%, there is nothing more worth seeking after. There's no community that's gonna make you stronger than Jesus' church. There's nothing more fulfilling than a Jesus-based life. Don't do life alone. If you've been fighting by yourself for a long time, you've been, you've been grinding through life, you've been gritting your teeth, and you've had these experiences, you've had these things that hold you back, can I just tell you there's no joy that comes from a calloused life. To just squeeze on to pain and suffering and what you've experienced harder and harder, to not let go is just gonna hurt more and more. It may feel like you're protecting yourself, but you're just trapping yourself in a prison of your own cynicism and bitterness. And friends, listen, it's time to be free. It's time to open up again. It's time to rip off the callus and let it begin to heal. Because in a world full of hopelessness, in a world that is full of struggle, Jesus is the shelter in the storm that you need, that you've been looking for. God is the perfect father that even the best dad on earth or father figure in your life could never quite hold a candle to. He knows your history. He knows who you've been, he knows your pain, he knows your struggle, and he wants to know you in spite of it. And he knows the amazing future that he has for you. And maybe you haven't heard that in a long time or you've never accepted that in your life. You don't feel like you have a future. You don't feel like you have anywhere to go. Listen, for every person in this room, God has a future for you. God loves you. You are his child. And he has amazing things that he wants to accomplish through you. Things that you don't even think that you could. Things that you frankly couldn't on your own. But you have to open your heart to him. You have to open your heart to allow God to work in your life maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time in a very, very long time. So when we look back on Matthew 7, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So turn to him, turn to God. 
He wants to give you good gifts. He wants to give you that fulfilling life. He wants to help you through whatever you're struggling through. He wants to help you with your anxiety, heal your addictions, your trauma, the garbage going on with your family, your friends, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, the thing that is keeping you up at night, whatever it is, he wants to be there for you and help you through it. He is the God that created the universe that defeated death and he can help to defeat whatever you're walking through. But you have to ask. You have to open your heart and open yourself to him. So ask. It doesn't have to be loud. It doesn't have to be weird. Sometimes when we go to God for these things, we can kind of feel like we're going to our boss asking for a raise or going to the neighbor next door and asking them to keep it down a little bit at night. And we're scared of a pushback or a visceral reaction. Like he's gonna get mad because he knows everything about you. But he wants his children to talk to him, to ask. Philippians 4, 6 to 7, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for everything that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. God wants us to ask. He wants us to be vulnerable. He wants us to be honest with him, even if it's scary. Because we live in a world where vulnerability isn't something that we do. We present the best version of ourselves online. We want to pretend like our entire life is so amazing. Like every experience we had was the most incredible thing. Like we're just going full steam all the time when we're in public, when we're with our friends, when we're posting on Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is. But then we go into our private space in our homes, in our cars, in our rooms, and our life is empty. And we have to sit within the reality of what we're struggling with. So we hide what we don't want people to see. And then we bring that to God, that same thing. We don't want to be honest. We don't want to be vulnerable because it sucks, it hurts to just expose every negative thing about our lives, everything that we are suffering through or struggling with, the weaknesses in our lives, the things that we're bitter about, the things that hurt us. It's easier just to just pretend that everything's okay. But God doesn't want that. God doesn't want the social media version of your life. God wants you as you are, imperfect, broken, suffering, full of anxiety, mental illness, whatever you're going through, God doesn't care. He cares about it in the sense that he wants to help you through it, but that doesn't define you. You're not defined by those things. Where people would tell you that's who you are, that's your identity. Your identity is in literally nothing more than that you are a child of Jesus Christ. He is your heavenly father who loves you deeply, who will never give up on you, who sent his son to die on the cross for your sins, knew everything you were gonna do, every time you turn against him, every mistake, everything you would suffer through, and he still said, you are worth it. So don't worry, pray. Tell God what you need. Thank him for what he's done. And just like the verse says, you will experience peace like you have never experienced. Because he is for you, he loves you, he is God the Father. You are his child. He'll never give up on you. He loves you deeply. So let's stand if you're able. And as we sing the song, ask him. Be vulnerable. Let God in where he hasn't been allowed before. And I promise you'll change your world.